Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. everybody crypto current i'm stephen miller and you are listening to the aftershock our weekly show where we connect you with what's going on in the world of web3 as always on these aftershock wednesday shows i'm joined by my co-host richard carthon richard how you doing you know i'm not the best i've ever been uh as far as markets go uh we finally broke 20k saw all the way down to you know 18,000 bitcoin a sub 1000 eth so you know the sky was falling for a while we both know that there's a lot of reasons why that occurred, and we're going to get into it in the show. Uh, but on a less dim note, uh, you know, uh, just got done with Father's Day, got to spend some time with family. Uh, so that was that was the positive. You know, I can I can look forward to that. Looking forward to NFT NYC coming up this week. Uh, but man, it's a uh, it's been brutal out there. How you doing? You know, man, I have had a whirlwind of the last week. I am. Very glad to be here today with you. I'm excited for NFT NYC. And moreover, I, I look at everything that's happened across the last week as just kind of emblematic of what we lost, right? Psychological support. Um, you know, the second psychological support goes out the window, I figure out like most people's mentality goes right out the window. So I'm just rolling with it, man. But I'm excited to be here with you today. I'm excited to be with our listeners as always, we thank you for following the show. If you're subscribed over on YouTube or following wherever you get your favorite podcasts, we bring you these shows every Wednesday, but we also have our interview shows that Richard puts on every Monday and Friday. We've got a lot of great guests. We've got a lot more great guests coming to you soon. Um, but we're going to jump right into today's Aftershock where we keep you connected to the news and, of course, everything that's gone on in the metaverse across the last week. So let's jump into it with The Aftershock. So on this week's Aftershock, we got a couple things for you in the lightning round that are going to catch you up on everything in crypto at large. The first big one comes courtesy of our good friends at the U.S. Federal Reserve. When I say good friends, I clearly mean that facetiously. Um, the U.S. Federal Reserve has announced a 75 basis point hike, um, which is the highest hike they've ever issued since 1994. So in other words, since before Richard and I were on the planet. Actually, that's a lie. I was born in 93. And I think that Same. Richard, you were born at the end of 93. So... Before we were consciously alive, let's go with that. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah man. it's uh, this has been a tough week just overall with a lot of different news. And obviously, when you have news like this come up, it shows how bad inflation is. Like everyone keeps talking about inflation, everyone keeps talking about potential impending recession. All these corporate companies who've been slashing jobs. There's a reason that this is the highest hike in 
this many years. That's right, 27 years. That is, whoo, we, it, which is all the more reason of if you joined us last week for the aftershock and we said there's probably going to be some more pain. We haven't experienced max pain yet. I think this is the indicator that uh, max pain is still headed our way. Oh, yeah, no question. The thing that I find funny about this is that we started out the year with uh, Jerome Powell of the Fed making the statement that was just, it almost felt coy at the time. We're going to have four rate hikes this year. Expect um, four rate hikes. Buddy, we've <laughs> had two in two months. We've already had two. In two already months. already had two. Yeah. Hey, like we've had, we had one in March at 0.25. We had one in May at 0.5. And now we've got one in June at 0.75. By the time we're in November, we're going to have a two and a half point rate, rate hike. Yeah, interest rates at the beginning of the year for like real estate, for example, you could have still gotten like sub four. Uh, it's now at six and a half. So we could be headed to where if you want to get a brand new house or car in the States, somewhere between like seven and 9%, which is nuts. And see, nuts. I think that the, the reason we need to be you know sharing this with you today is because people don't understand what this means. And like, that's actually just a, a major fact. Like people do not understand what these interest rate hikes mean. And the real fact of the matter is, is it is the Fed pulling credit out of the system. That means that you cannot borrow at a low rate anymore, right? So it's making it a lot harder for people to utilize credit. Now that takes form a lot um, for like smaller buyers, you know, who are trying to buy a home individually. But that also you know, has an effect on larger institutional players. That's why you start to see like insolvency come up for BlockFi, Celsius. And of course, our next topic um, a little bit later on, which is going to be Three Arrows Capital. But we need to get through another couple pieces of news before we jump into that. So let's talk about another interesting topic. This was actually revealed this past week at um, Met Amsterdam, which is another big crypto conference. And that's that Amsterdam plans on launching a digital currency within the next four years. I think that's a really bullish statement, especially considering a lot of people for the longest time compared crypto and Bitcoin um, ramps up to the big tulip craze of the 1700s. And now you have the, the home of the tulip craze coming to play in crypto. So Richard, do you think this is a major bullish signal or is this just me trying to tap into some fun news for people? Um, you know, we got to get some fun news every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> the, the fact that this is in the next four years, technology always takes a little bit longer. It's probably going to take longer. But again, going back to fun, strong fundamentals of people are investing in the future of digital currency. This is a good, this is a good one. We, we, we got to bring some joy into the news segment these days. Like we can't just be all uh, negative. We're not going to give you FUD. FUD is fear, uncertainty, doubt. We're not here to give you that. Uh, we're here to give you the news and, and what's currently going on in the market. And right now, a lot of it's not so positive, uh, but we got to make sure we insert some positivity in there once in a while. Yes, so I appreciate yes. this, Steve. Thank you. Like, and if you're, not, if you're listening to this right now, this is why you need to be joining us on YouTube every once in a while. You can see a nice image with tulips and we even got some windmills in the background. You know, try to lift some spirits. <laughs> Look, man, if there's any one thing I've been working on here at Cryptocurrent, it's changing the slogan up a little bit. Here at Cryptocurrent, we put the fun in fundamentals. <laughs> All right, man, let's move into this next story from the Web3 lightning round. And that is, of course, what we were talking about at the top of the show. Bitcoin and ETH have both breached the 20,000 and 1,000 psychological support levels, respectively. Um, I got to tell you, I've spoken to a number of different analysts across the space on this. And a lot of people are saying that we're not done. 
Um, we think that there is a little bit more room to go down from here. But I have to admit myself, man, I don't, I really do not think we have much further to go. So if I had any one piece of advice to be giving people right now is that right now looks like a really good time to be DCAing in, especially given the fact that the dollar looks like it is poised to get hurt even worse across the upcoming summer. So uh, what do you, what would you make by way of advice for people right now? When you look at price entries for both Bitcoin and Ethereum, your, your main two cryptos, uh, we are in a golden place. Now, again, do we think it's going to go lower in the short term? Yes. How much further? Don't know. Uh, but if you can DCA at this point, your cost basis is somewhere between 20000 and whatever the floor is, you're probably going to turn out okay on the other side once we get on the other side of this. How long is that going to take? That's a whole other conversation. But ultimately, these prices, once we get past this threshold, we may never see again. Like this price entry, we may never see again because after we get into this next bull, bullish cycle, uh, it's a good chance it leads into the next happening event in 2024, in two years. And usually with each of your happenings, whatever your basis is around that time, that usually becomes around your new floor. So again, things to be looking at. No question. So... We're going to keep an eye on that for you here so that you don't have to look at it so closely. Um, but let's go ahead and move into our next story. Now, this is one that I personally have been waiting for for a while, but it sounds like good folks over at Circle, who are the people behind the stablecoin USDC, are officially moving forward with launching their second stablecoin outside of the United States dollar. And that, of course, is going to be Eurocoin. So the Eurocoin is going to be pegged to the Euro, if you could have put that together. And it's looking like it's going to be receiving mass adoption over in Europe here sometime soon. Um, typically, you see with companies like Circle, who have a lot of really high-end government connections, that when they have the ability to peg a one-to-one -one stable coin, meaning that they have a, a euro for every euro coin that they issue, or a, or a US dollar for every USDC that they issue, they're going to likely receive a greater degree of support out in the regulated world. So I'm personally pretty excited about this. There's not a lot more to add to it. So I want to go ahead and carry us forward into that story that I was mentioning earlier. And that is, of course, referring back to the Fed Reserve talk that I was giving about how that connects to Three Arrows Capital and BlockFi, both being on the brink of insolvency. Now, the really interesting piece of this to me, and we saw something interesting happen with Celsius, when they announced insolvency earlier this earlier last week, what we talked to you about on the Aftershock last week, was that Celsius actually had gotten an offer from Nexo for a buyout. In this case, they're not looking for a buyout, but Threro's Capital actually has the balls to seek a bailout due to the Luna collapse. Richard, what do you think about that? Because this is one of the, I mean, to think that a fund can go seeking a bailout for just piss poor risk management sounds ridiculous to me. You know, as ridiculous as it sounds, we're talking about 2008 and what happened in the U.S. So the difference here is that Terra Luna is not having to go through the proper channels that the SEC, FDIC, and all these other things are put in place to make sure it is uh, regulated and uh, there's steps that can be taken. Now, even, even in that case, 
the U.S. decided to foot the bill to protect the banks. Why in the world would this investment institution think that who's going to bail them out? Terra Luna, like their reserves, like they're already like, who's going to bail them out? Like it's, it's insane, dude. I, good luck. Good luck. There's there's a lot of people out here who have already been drawing comparisons with like how Doquan has been, you know, basically dragged through the mud on everything Terra Luna. And it's no surprise, right? He theoretically could have actually defrauded hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars from people. Uh, but a lot of people were comparing him to Justin Sun and what happened with Tron back in 2017. But you also now have more people that are trying to link the head of Three Arrows Capital, which I believe is Suzu, um, not directly to Do Kwon, but they're saying that both likely in this specific situation um, are likely going to see some type of um, criminal or at the very least civil recourse over this um, because people like the head of three hours capital Suzu would like actively post about all of these different like cocky things that they'd say in the market across the last six months about de-risking and like you shouldn't be playing in this game if you don't have a risk management policy and all of those chickens have officially come home to roost. Yes, they have. Like this, this looks, I mean, it looks really, really bad for three hours capital because they were actually tied with most of the major um, exchange platforms out there as, um, as creditors. Yeah. So the fact that they're not going to be able to make good on that to their creditors, like it, it looks really, really bad. So I don't think that they've got a shot in hell of actually securing that bailout, but we'll have to see how that one develops, of course, over time. In our final story in the Web3 Lightning Round this week, it comes from Nansen. So you may know Nansen if you're in the NFT space because they have one of the top um, analytics platforms out there for tracking the market. But they've actually just announced that they'll be launching a messaging app for Web3 communities going forward. This, I believe, is more so in um, direct correspondence to people's distaste with Discord right now and how a lot of these communities are starting to get really tired of the way that Discord is managed, operated, and otherwise supported by Discord at the corporate level. They want something more decentralized. So it's an interesting development from Nansen here. Um, Do you think this thing catches a little bit of fire or do you think it's going to be something that just slowly fades off into the night? Potentially that, man. Like Nansen, when they first came on the scene, everyone was going in their direction to get a lot of their information. And then like as people would start to parse through it, it kind of like lost its luster after other tools started entering the market and given a little bit better root cause of different trends and types of NFTs, you know, people could be looking for. The fact that they're pretty much trying to pivot over to messaging was kind of like, okay, we got to do something to try to bring new eyes and bring new people. Here's where people are distressed right now in Web3 and it's in messaging. So I I think it's more of a, an effort to pivot to something that a new problem that they can go address. And because they have users who are currently, you know, using them, it's worth a shot, but I don't know, man, uh, dropping the bucket for trying to get some market share over discord. Look, I think the one thing that this can do, and I've, I've given this a little bit more thought um, across the last couple of weeks, because I think that, more of these data solutions need a built-in messaging component or built-in forum component that can be easily managed. 
what Nansen is doing right now is allowing for people to actually analyze their data and have real-time conversations with one another about the feedback. That is the bigger message here. I don't know if they'll ultimately end up competing with Discord, but think about that. There was a time when I went into Nansen and I was trying to track um, specific whale wallets and movement. And there were certain things that were coming across as like, okay, this was a big bulk purchase from a, num- like a number of big whale wallets and smart money wallets, right? And had I, you know, been in communication with a couple of people who like really understood Nansen and saw it and could dig into it even a little bit deeper, I wouldn't have ultimately pulled the trigger and minted on the play that those wallets were targeting. Because ultimately at that immediate time, Nansen wasn't tracking it as a sale. They were tracking it, they were tracking it all as what would look like a sale. But in reality, those projects were actually just airdropping massively um, from their mint directly to wallets of large money plays. So had I actually had a communication tool to talk to people in the space about that at the time, I probably would have been able to save myself from minting that and taking that L. So it's an interesting thing. I want to see how they develop it from there. But let's go ahead and move into last week in the metaverse where we bring you up to speed on everything NFTs and metaverse related. This one's pretty big to me because, again, I'm huge about NFTs. I believe in the future of it, regardless of how um, bleak the rest of the market looks. And that's especially because this week we're moving into NFT NYC, and there's probably going to be a ton of news coming from NFT NYC this week, which we'll be bringing you next week on the Aftershock. But this week, we've got big uh, moves from OpenSea. So OpenSea has officially moved to the Seaport protocol, which is their bigger open source protocol they've opened up to a number of different exchanges and other marketplaces for NFTs out there and also aggregators. And with this move to Seaport, OpenSea will officially be moving to lower transaction costs, introducing collection-wide offerings. So you can now make an offer on a specific trait with wrapped Ethereum across an entire collection. So like let's say in um, Moonbirds, you wanted to go and make an offer on a number of different skeleton traits. You can go into that specific collection on OpenSea, click make collection-wide offer, select that trade, and then make a blanket offer across every single item that has that trade. Pretty cool. Makes things a lot easier to use. But then on top of that, OpenSea has also launched a featured tab to allow users to organize, curate, and showcase their NFTs on their OpenSea profiles. Now, that third item should actually stand out to you because that is OpenSea's way of trying to compete directly with what you've just found as an offering over on Coinbase NFT. Yep. So we now have two platforms trying to take on a more social focus as an NFT marketplace and exchange. So Richard, these features are going to be seen popping up across a lot more marketplaces into the future. Are you bullish on the move or do you think the Seaport is ultimately just another uh, flash in the pan? No, I think Seaport protocol should be really helpful for them, especially as it relates to lowering transaction costs. That's continues to be a challenge with providing access to everyone. Uh, it shouldn't cost an outrageous amount of money just to make a transaction. Um, the other part too is that you can... They're taking the best elements from some of their competitors and basically trying to pull them in. So like, what's interesting about OpenSea, which you know I can respect, is they're, they're kind of doing the Facebook approach, right? So they make a really good core product. A lot of people come to it. They have competitors that come in and make really cool features that they don't offer. Then they basically say, hey, we should take the best elements of that and add it to our platform. If you think about Instagram, for example, uh, when Snapchat first came out and you could like go and look at people's stories, 
oh, look, all of a sudden Instagram now has stories. Um, when you look at Reels, because that's what TikTok was, uh, they're like, hey, let's add this thing called Reels. And now they have that. So OpenSea is going the same approach, right? And because they have the mass, because they're, they have the, the critical audience, they're trying to take the best elements of some of their competitors, import it, and highlight it. And that's just showing that people are looking for more of that social aspect. People do want to show and highlight some of the good NFTs that they have and they're playing towards that. So I think it's smart on their part. We'll have to see exactly how this one plays out into the future, but I'm personally very bullish on the news. Now, speaking of news that I'm very bullish on, it's actually this next story. So across the last couple of weeks in the NFT space, there has been a meta trend that is really just taking the world by storm. And it's kind of been the thing that has, let's just say, made a lot more people feel comfortable in a, pl- in a time where things look like shit. So tr- Truth Labs, um, which is the founders of the Illuminati NFT, have also revealed themselves to be the founder of Goblin Town NFT, which is exactly what plays into this larger meta trend that I was just talking about, which is free mints. So Goblin Town minted like two or three weeks ago, and it went on an absolute blitz. I know we've talked about it a little bit here, but it ultimately went to a 10th floor. And that's insane for a free mint. Like it's like almost like unheard of. But it's because we're playing into a more emotional narrative here. Like, what do people want to do when there's max pain in the market? They want to rally behind some type of meme or some community-focused feeling. And that's what Goblin Town was, because there's this larger um, joke about, you know, the market's going down to Goblin Town. So you had this happen across the last couple of weeks, but Truth Labs um, made this collection drop and people loved it. They absolutely loved it. They ended up on Twitter and Twitter spaces with 14,000 other people grunting and making goblin sounds for hours on hours on end. It was extremely strange, very different, but it's ultimately what the market clearly wanted at the time. So um, now that they have officially doxxed, they're going to be moving on to much bigger things like doing goblin merch and of course, co-hosting some events at NFT NYC. Um, Richard, what do you think of this entire, um, I guess, a non-posting and a non-dropping of different NFT-related content. Uh, do you think it's good for the space at large, or do you think that we're going to be um, moving away from that as as things go on? They're going to ultimately be moving away from it. I think that as new projects, it kind of adds like a lore and like a you know a curiosity to it. But I, for as the projects get bigger, I don't think that the people who drop it should stay anonymous forever. Um, cause I, you know, there's just been way too many projects where people start off with a project, it gets really hot then some shady stuff happens and then they pretty much ultimately get away with it. And <laughs> there's a lore again to anonymous, like anon founders and projects that like add this uniqueness to it, but it also adds like another unique layer of risk that's just unnecessary. And I think what's cool about what the Truth Labs have done with this is they created value, they created a really, they created fandom, and they created a really good community. And then after that was all created, they went, they doxed themselves and then said, look, y'all made this special. Here's why we're going to come out and say, here's who we are. And we want it to continue. And like, I think going that approach was like really, really unique and, and cool. 
And, and uh, you know, because of it, it, other things that the truth laps behind, like Illuminati, has seen a, a recent little surge because people want to be a part of, of communities that have that type of vision and have that type of way of communicating and not being afraid to dox themselves after, you know, creating value for the, for the community. But like, how, how are you looking at this? I'm really, really bullish on the entire thing. Um, I think that you have to start to understand the way that NFTs are culture dependent to really get why Goblin Town actually made a ton of sense and why it made the money that it made. Um, but for projects like Truth, that had a limited track record that have only been on the market for like, call it six months. It's amazing to me how much you can just shift the narrative on something like this. Because what people want to see before they believe in a project is that they can execute, that they can do more, that they can deliver on something that they promised. And it's not like Truth Labs had a roadmap, right? They, had, they didn't necessarily make a ton of massive promises. But what they did say from the onset is that they wanted to be one of those players in the space that caused mischief. And they really compared themselves actively to this big Web2 brand called Mischief, MSCHF. And that brand was all about bringing certain joke products to market, bringing things to market that, you know, really shook things up, right? Like they, I believe Mischief is the one that brought the, um, wasn't it the... The, uh, the Air Jordan, yeah, it was the Air Jordan that was like the Jesus shoe that it like built in um, water from the uh, River Jordan into the um, air bubble. Oh, into the air bubble in the bottom, yeah. Yeah. So they did that and that was seen as like this massive like splash play at the time. And that's kind of what um, Illuminati is trying to do. They're trying to show that they have the power behind the scenes to do big, big things like this. And Goblin Town really is just the first of those um, splashy mischief-causing moments. Now, if you're going to NFT NYC, one of the things that is coming up is their big Summer of Eris event, um, or this, I'm sorry, the Summer Solstice, as they're calling it. And that's going to be on the 21st, and it's supposed to be some massive blowout event at Terminal 5. I expect that if they pulled off Goblin Town the way that they did on a short window that this event probably is going to be some type of spectacle. So if you're going to be at NFT NYC, I would be looking at that for sure. But I think for Truth Labs in particular, this is extremely bullish. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how they do going forward as the price on their uh, Illuminati pyramids have already gone since the announcement from like 0.1 ETH up to a 1 ETH floor. So it goes to show like if you're delivering, there's a lot that can happen from it. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on this one before we wrap it up? Uh, the Goblin Town community is very unique. Uh, I don't know if you joined us for our last um, Twitter Spaces, but if you did, you you missed out. Uh, I think we have a recorded. Might want to go. I'm not. I'm not even going to spoil it. Just do yourself a favor and go go check that out. Our Twitter Spaces, of course, are non fungible Thursdays. They go live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, sometimes with surprises like goblins. So. For our final piece of news this week and last week in the metaverse, we have Nickelodeon's 10K NFT collection debuting on July 19th. Now, this was um, a partnership that they did to start curating NFT collections. I don't believe the, I don't remember the actual platform that they partnered with, but what I can tell you is the first collection is going to be SpongeBob and Hey Arnold. 
I find it interesting. I don't know how you do a 10K collection around that, but at the end of the day, this is not the first and it's not the last brand to jump into the NFT space. Um, you already know that Disney is well at it and after it over on the VV platform, which in my opinion is the worst of the worst, um, but more brands are going to make plays. And Nickelodeon has a massive content library to pull from. So yeah. I think this is a very bullish move forward for NFTs at large. Um, do you think this is, again, just another um, brand entering the place for a cash grab? Or do you think this is just, again, as I was saying, a much larger narrative at play? A little of both. It's definitely a cash grab. Uh, if you're, Nickelodeon could have started with a ton of, of their different shows that they did. And they're starting with SpongeBob because it's probably their biggest. And when you look at millennials, we grew up on this and then it's kind of gone into, you know, Gen Xers and, and, and everything else. So it, people are familiar with this. People would probably be really intrigued with the potential of owning themselves as SpongeBob, Patrick, Sandy, Mr. Crab, Squidward, etc. type of uh, NFT. Now, the only thing I would say that they need to make sure is that by owning it, they get some sort of perk through Nickelodeon. Who knows what that would be? But it's like they add actual use case utility for being part of this first 10K drop, man, like they could open up the door for a lot of brands and other companies to have a model that is sustainable and gets people really excited for owning these other than a potential cash grab. And Disney, I feel like just did a straight up cash grab. And that's why they're not seeing as much um, success as they probably hoped. Uh, if Nick does this the right way, they really could set the stage for something bigger. So I'm hopeful, but probably could be it's probably a cash grab. What do you, what do you think? Look, I think it's going to end up somewhere between slime and rocket power. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, man. Well, hey, look, that's going to wrap up our aftershock for this week with our last week in the metaverse segment. But of course, if you enjoyed this, please let us know in the comments below. Um, we are going to be out at NFT NYC, so make sure you hit us up. Um, you can get me at um, Steve Miller underscore PHX on Twitter, or you can, of course, hit up Richard directly at Richard Carthon on Twitter. But we will be live tweeting some of our findings from NFT NYC, both on those accounts and on the cryptocurrent Twitter which is at underscore cryptocurrent underscore. So this has been another edition of the Aftershock. Richard, before we go, um, would you mind telling the people a little bit about what's coming up in our interview series in the upcoming week? Absolutely. So Monday, uh, Ben Spicker just dropped. He's with Ichi Protocol. Uh, as you know, they uh, when they first hit the market, you you saw a huge surge in price and saw a decline, but they're, they're getting back stable and, and going in the right direction. It was a really interesting journey to see what happened and what were the lessons they could apply, but really, really cool um, platform. And they're, they're making a lot of waves with, uh, with the column Angel Vaults and um, Huddle Vaults. So you trust me, you want to go check that out. Like I know I'm even uh, super interested of, of what they've been able to create over at Ichi. And then uh, Friday, we're dropping uh, uh, Fringe Finance. We had Constantine on the show. Uh, he's going to be talking about lending and borrowing um, with different terms, uh, utilizing fridge finance, so different ways that you can be utilizing DeFi protocols that are speak more to flexibility around how you want to be using your money. So uh, two really cool protocols to be checking out this week and hope you enjoy the content. Awesome. Well, look, that's going to do it for us here at Cryptocurrent. 
please do us a favor. If you're not yet subscribed to the show over on YouTube, go give us a subscribe over there. Make sure you like the show and drop a comment. If you are checking us out on your favorite podcast platform right now for the very first time, make sure you follow the show so you get our latest episodes whenever they drop Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Until next time, folks, we hope that you have a great week. We'll be out at NFT NYC having some fun. We hope that you have a great week wherever you are in the world. And until next time, stay cryptocurrent. We'll catch you at the next one.